So I come from a family of faith. The faith has been passed down through generation to generation to generation. Uh, my family's always been part of a faith background. My dad's side, a lot of Lutheran, Swiss Reform, my mom's side, uh, some non-denominational, some Baptist in there. And so my, my family has always been part of a faith community. It's part of my heritage, and I'm really grateful that that is my story, that it's something that I get to pass on to my own kids. Perhaps that's not your story, but perhaps you have a similar story. Perhaps your, your story is one of maybe being new to the faith and starting to pass that faith on to your kids. And part of the faith tradition in my family is passing on Bibles, of, of giving Bibles to different you know, members of the family at certain occasions. So this was a Bible that I had as a kid. Uh, you can see it's got a very fun, you know, kind of glittery cover. Uh, it's the NIV Study Bible for Kids. Um, Phil commented earlier when he saw this that it looked like I either spent a lot of time reading it or I um, was rough on my Bible. And I don't really remember, but the cover is coming off how I, how I treated this. But I did remember carrying this to church every Sunday. Uh, a fun little thing that I discovered in here is that there is a dum-dum wrapper for a bookmark. It's a grape dum-dum wrapper. So, you know, fun little thing right there in that Bible. Uh, I also have another Bible. I've got several others at home, but this is the one that I use every day. I got this whenever I graduated college, uh, and it's got my name in gold leaf on the front. And perhaps you may have a Bible that's got your name in gold leaf on the front. And I don't remember what was said at any of those points whenever I, I was given one of these Bibles. But what I do remember is that there was an understanding that what was inside was important. I grew up with an understanding that the Bible was important, that it was part of the faith. I was taught that you know, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Its word shall I hide in my heart so that I might not sin against God. And so I grew up with an understanding that the Bible was a book of rules, that is, is how we are meant to live. And maybe that's your story. Maybe you grew up in the church, you were given a Bible, you were told maybe all of it was true. Maybe you were told or taught that it was a book of rules. And so you set out to live by those rules until you discover that maybe some of those rules don't always work in everyday living. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Perhaps you didn't grow up in church and the Bible intimidates you because it's a very big book. It's very heavy depending on the size Bible that you have. And so just the, the sheer thought of trying to read that thing is intimidating and it keeps you from even opening the pages of the Bible. So today we're talking about the Bible. So far in our series that we've been talking about for the last four weeks, we've talked about what we believe about God. We've talked about what we believe about humanity, that all people are made in God's image and that that image of God has been cracked, it's been corrupted, and that we call that sin, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And last week we talked about what God's solution to our sin problem is. And we said that that solution is Jesus, that Jesus came to save us from our sin, to save us from ourselves, not to send us to hell to bit to get the hell out of us because we unleash hell on the earth. And today we're talking about the Bible because most people don't have a problem with Jesus. People have a problem with the Bible and how they were handed the Bible. Because again, maybe you're told that it was all true, not to sit anything on it, to, to treat the Bible with respect. And so that also translated then into how you read it. And then you encountered things that began to dismantle your faith. Maybe you're told it was all true, and so you were, you were brought up reading the Bible and taught that there is a seven-day literal creation, that the earth is 6,000 years old, and then you went to science class or you went to college. Maybe you were taught that um, 
the exodus, you know, out of, out of Egypt, the Israelite exodus happened until you learn that the archaeological evidence for that is almost non-existent, that it's shaky, and that we can't trust then the, the Bible. Maybe you heard somebody talking about the laws in the Old Testament and how antiquated and how oppressive they are. And then you began to walk away from that picture of God because you don't want anything to do with that version of God. And it began to unravel your faith because for you, your faith was built on the Bible. And a a faith that's built on the Bible is kind of like a house of cards. That all you have to do is take out one card and the entire thing begins to crumble, become dismantled. Because for you, your faith was built on a book, and it's really easy to poke holes in a book. In fact, non-Christians like to do this all the time, to build up arguments against Christianity based on things within the Bible, and then begin to dismantle that argument. And so maybe that's your story. Maybe you're here today, and you've walked away from the faith because of something that you read in the Bible, or something that somebody told you about the Bible. Maybe you're here today, and you're a Christian, you're not really sure what to think about the Bible yet. Maybe you believe that part of it's true. Maybe you believe that you know, that it's important. Maybe you believe that some of it's inspired, but you're not really sure beyond that. And maybe you're here today and you believe that it is all true. And so we're going to talk about all of that today. And if you're here today, like I said, and you walked away from the faith, perhaps the, the, the version of the Bible, the view of the Bible that you were handed, perhaps it's a view that maybe even the Bible itself doesn't have for itself. And that maybe you walked away from the faith unnecessarily. So today we're going to be tackling what we believe about the Bible because we believe that the entire Bible is a divine and human work. It is the inspired word of God and people were moved by the spirit of God to write scripture. Therefore, we believe that the Bible is without error in all that it intends to communicate. So this is a statement that you'd find on our website whenever you click on the beliefs section. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking this today. We're going to start at the very beginning. We're going to start with the fact that the Bible is a divine and human work. But before we get into that section, we need to talk about what is the Bible. Because we call the Bible a book, but it's not actually a book. It's a collection of ancient manuscripts, of ancient documents made up of a whole bunch of different types of literature that have all been assembled under one cover. So it covers different genres of literature, like wisdom, like poetry, prose discourse, history, apocalypses, letters, etc. All those things are within sometimes the same book that we call, or sometimes there's different levels of that material in different books. So sometimes one book is within one genre, and sometimes there is different genres within the same book. So it's so different from any literature that we're used to encountering, that we're used to reading, because most time we pick up a book and, you know, it's, it's in the fiction genre or it's in the history genre. But this is made up of so many different genres. It's, think of it as a collection of books, like a library that sits on our shelves that's all been bound under one cover. The Bible is made up of an Old Testament and a New Testament. Our focus is on the New Testament. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, the word testament simply means covenant or promise. The, the old covenant and the new covenant uh, to the Jews. The Old Testament is not old. It's the Hebrew scriptures. It's their scriptures. And so for us as followers of Jesus who focus on the New Testament, the Old Testament is interesting. It gives us backstory to understanding Jesus and his mission, but the Old Testament was not written to us. The New Testament was written to us, and so we focus on that. Now, we believe that the entire Bible is one unified story that leads to Jesus, but our focus is on the New Testament. 
not on the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written to, uh, the, to the Jewish people. And last time I checked, none of us are Jewish. And so we focus then on the New Testament. There's different views as to how the Bible came to be. Some people believe that the Bible simply fell out of heaven. You know, like angels singing and light coming down and the Bible just coming down out of heaven. Some people believe that the Bible was written by a bunch of old men in a back room somewhere in a, in a secret with white beards trying to figure out <laughs> what goes in, what stays out, and trying to figure out if Judith went in, you know, or if Judith got to, to stay out of the Bible. And uh, Judith is a, is a book that didn't get included in the Bible. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later, why it didn't get included. Uh, but there, that's one of the views that people have. But like the Bible, the Bible, or like Jesus, the Bible is both a human and a divine work. It's human and divine. Let's focus on the human part for a little, little bit. The Old Testament was written over the course of about a thousand years, written by many different authors, some known, some unknown. And so the human element of that is we know that there were people that actually wrote the pages of Scripture that are in the Old Testament. But we also know that there are other people that we don't know who wrote. And those things that got included in the, New or in the Old Testament. For example, the book of Deuteronomy, who was written by Moses. When you get to the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, there is the fingerprints of another author in there, another uh, human element in there. Because it, Deuteronomy 31 talks about the fact that Moses died and what happened after Moses died. Well, if Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy, he can't write about himself after he's dead. So who wrote the end of the book of Deuteronomy? Uh, we see that in the, the book of Isaiah, that there's different uh, authors that were included in the book of Isaiah. We see that in the, in the book of Jeremiah, that Jeremiah wrote the scroll of Jeremiah, and then he handed it to the king. The king had it read out loud, and then it was burned piece by piece as it was read. And so Jeremiah had to, uh, to rewrite that book, and he used a scribe named Baruch to write that book. And Baruch made some additions to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, you see the, the fingerprints of humans in the book of Proverbs, who was written by King Solomon. Who, wrote, who added Hezekiah, King Hezekiah's words, to the book of Proverbs? Because Hezekiah lived after Solomon would have written the Proverbs. Who added King Lemuel's words to the book of Proverbs, the chapter 31? Because King Lemuel was a pagan king. He wasn't an Israelite king. So who added his words into the pages of, our old, or of the Old Testament? See, the, the fingerprints of human beings are all over the pages of our Bible. So if the Bible is fully divine, then what do we do with the very evidently human aspects of the Bible? And for some of you, maybe that causes a little bit of a crisis of faith because you have the perspective that the Bible just came out of heaven, that humans were not involved in the writing of Scripture. Now, I believe that the church is also the best place to be talking about this, to, to wrestle with this question of, of you know, human uh, agency within the Scripture. Let's talk about the, the New Testament. The New Testament was written over the course of about 50 years, so much different than the Old Testament. We know some of the authors and that there are some authors that remain yet anonymous to us, that we don't know who wrote, for example, the book of Hebrews. A long time ago, in fact, in the, the Bible that I have that was given to me right before we started Hope Community, a Bible that belonged to my great-great-great-grandfather, as printed in 1864, they attribute the book of Hebrews to the Apostle Paul. 
That's a perspective that isn't shared anymore. People now say, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. But we can see that evidence everywhere. In spite of the fact that, that there's different authors involved in the writing of the Old Testament and especially the New Testament, it doesn't change the validity, the validity, the meaning of the pages. In fact, let's listen to Oxford scholar Alistair McGrath talk about this. Textual criticism examines the number of copies of early texts that we have available to us today. And it looks at the time gap between the original document and the earliest copy that we have. And basically, the more manuscripts we have and the earlier they are, the less doubt there's going to be about the original. So let's compare the Bible to other texts in ancient history, ones that are widely used in schools and universities. Let's look at the Greek historians Herodotus and Thucydides. They both wrote in the 5th century BC. But the earliest copy of their writings that we have dates from AD 900, and that makes a 1,300-year time lapse. And even then, we only have eight copies of these manuscripts in the first place. Or look at the Roman historian Tacitus. There's a 1,000-year gap between his book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies. Or another classic, Caesar's Gallic War, 950 years between the book being written and our first manuscript copy. And even then, we only have nine or ten copies of these manuscripts. Again, with Livy's famous History of Rome, a 900-year gap between the book being written and our first manuscript, and we only have 20 copies of this. But when it comes to the New Testament, well, it's very different. The New Testament was written between about 40 and 100 AD, and we have manuscript evidence going back as early as 130 AD, and full manuscripts by 350 AD. And we have more than 5,300 Greek manuscripts, 10,000 Latin translations, and 9,300 others. So, you know, we can be pretty confident in the accuracy, the authenticity, and the integrity of the New Testament scriptures that have been passed down to us today. The remarkable thing about the Bible is there's such a short chronological distance between the events being described and our first manuscripts. So, in many ways, the Bible scholars are in a very fortunate position of being able to check these things out and finding that they are much more reliable than, for example, some of the alternatives you're looking at. And as a scholar, I am more than happy to say, I trust this, I take it very He takes it very seriously. <laughs> uh, couldn't quite get it stopped in the right spot to catch that last part, but he takes it very seriously. So when it comes to the Old Testament, when it comes to especially the New Testament, we can know that in spite of the fact that there are many different authors involved, that the reliability of our Bible is very, very high, that it's very credible, that we can trust what the people, uh, that, that we can trust what the people had to say, and we can also trust the reliability between the different sources that we have. And so we got the Bible in its current form by the church. We got it by the church, not by a group of old men that makes good fiction, but it's not actually history. There, there are books that are in the, the canon, what we call the canon of scripture, or the Bible, um, that got there because the church was already using them. Okay, so whenever councils got together to decide on what went into our New Testament, they did so by looking at what the church was already using, what the church already considered authoritative. They didn't get together to try to figure out who got in and who got left out, but rather they were 
uh, coming to a consensus on what everybody was already using. And so it makes good history to say that, you know, or good fiction to say that old men tried to figure out who got left out of the Bible, but it's not actually history. There's things that didn't make it into our New Testament because they lack what, what's called apostolic succession. That is where somebody could trace who they got that letter from. So for example, uh, St. Irenaeus, he got his letter from Polycarp, and Polycarp was a disciple of John the Apostle. And so you can trace these things back and see where the message and where this literature came from. And there were letters that were written that didn't get included because they lacked that apostolic succession. That they couldn't say, we don't know that that came from John, or we don't know that that came from Thomas. And so we're, therefore, we're not going to include that in our Bible. And speaking of Thomas, maybe you've heard of the Gospel of Thomas. This is a, a considered a lost gospel, something that was written about 200 years after the events of the life of Jesus. And it wasn't found until 1945. And even then, we only have one manuscript of the Gospel of Thomas. It was created by a group down in Egypt, and they went down a completely different route than the rest of the, the authors of the Gospels. And so whenever they died out, their letter was lost for 1,800 years. And it wasn't considered authoritative because they went down a different road and their letter was lost. It wasn't passed on, unlike all the other letters that got included in our New Testament. And so these are books that make the headlines, that make good fiction like the Da Vinci Code, but they were books that were never actually in the Bible in the first place. And so we believe that the Bible is a divine and a human work, but it's also the inspired word of God and that people were moved by the Spirit of God to write Scripture. In fact, we see this view of Scripture within the pages of the New Testament itself. The Apostle Peter, in writing a letter to one of the churches in Asia Minor to encourage them in their, in their faith, says this. He says, Also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He's talking about Paul the Apostle. Okay, so Peter the Apostle knew Paul the Apostle, and he knew that Paul had already written to these churches. He says, he speaks, talking about Paul, he speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, so if you've ever read the Apostle Paul, you can agree there are things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. And here is the Apostle Peter, who lived in the same culture as the Apostle Paul and still had a hard time understanding what Paul was trying to say. There are some things that are hard to understand in them, that untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. And so Peter recognizes that Paul wrote other letters. And so Peter was writing about 63 to 65 AD, so about 30 to 35 years after the death, burial, and resurrection. And already at that point in history, there was already a group of Paul's letters that were being circulated around amongst the churches. And so therefore, we know that Paul's letters were written very early after the events of the life of Jesus. And, and Peter says that these people, they will twist them as they do the rest of the scriptures, equating the Apostle Paul's writings with the rest of the scriptures, with the, the Hebrew Bible, putting them on the same level, putting them on the same ground as the rest of scriptures, that they are also the word of God, that they are also inspired. Yes, Paul, Peter knew that Paul wrote these words, but they are also at the same time, they were the very words of God to the churches. And Peter didn't recognize that he was also doing the same thing, that he was writing letters that would be considered authoritative, that would be considered the words of God to the churches. 
And so it's incredible that we have this within the pages of our New Testament, that we have these eyewitness accounts that were written down. And these people wrote letters to the churches to help them to figure out how to live out the good news of the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus. And that's how they viewed not only the Old Testament, but also the letters that were beginning to be circulated. In fact, the Apostle Paul had something to say about this too, uh, just like Timothy, and writing to, or just like Peter, and he was writing to his protege Timothy, instructing him and encouraging him as he led the church, telling him that, look, hard days are ahead of you, but your job is to remain faithful, to hold fast to what you've been taught, because the enemy is going to infiltrate the church and take many astray, but your job is to remain faithful, to not lose hope. And Paul writes this, and we're going to go kind of fast through these next couple of verses. He says, You, however, know about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings, and what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Paul is saying, look, in spite of following Jesus, I endured a lot. But, but, but you know my way of life. You know my way of life. It wasn't separated from my teaching. It, just wasn't, it wasn't just a mental thing, but it was actually active. It was something that I, that I lived out, and that led to faith and patience and love and endurance and allowed me to endure persecutions and sufferings. The Apostle Paul was stoned until people thought that he was dead, and then he got up and walked away. The Apostle Paul endured a lot because of his faith, because of his way of life, because he believed in who he saw, He believed in Jesus, the risen Savior. Paul continues on. He says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, Paul is saying, Look, we think that we're making progress as a society, but things are going to continue to spiral down, to continue to get worse. Our job is to remain faithful. His advice to Timothy is learn from my example, because I have endured a lot, I was beaten. I was shipwrecked, but because of the good news of Jesus, I was able to remain steadfast. I was able to remain faithful, so follow my example. Continues on, he says, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. That is, continue to live it out, continue to practice the faith that's been passed on to you, because you know those from whom you learned it. Timothy learned it from his mother and his grandmother. They passed the faith on to young Timothy. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, even looking back at the Scriptures, that is, for them it was the Old Testament, believed that it led to salvation because they believed that the Bible was a unified story that pointed to Jesus. And by studying the scriptures that they could come to a saving knowledge, that they could learn to trust in Jesus, their Jewish Messiah. And then Paul writes something that is really profound. He says, all scripture is God-breathed. This word God-breathed is actually one word in the Greek. It's theonomuskos. It's breathed out by God. That is the breath of God, or uh, as the Hebrews understood it, the ruah of God, meaning the spirit, the breath that gives life. The same breath that breathed into humanity and gives us life. The same breath that brought Jesus back from the dead. Now breathes out these scriptures because all scripture is God breathed. Paul wasn't negating the human aspect of writing scripture because they knew that you know, Moses wrote scripture, that Isaiah wrote scripture. Yet at the same time, it was 
inspired by God. It was breathed out by God. And if those things were not breathed out by God, then he wouldn't be able to say the next part of this verse. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting and training in righteousness. Scripture is useful for teaching. That is, that they can be useful for teaching the things of God, for building up the church, for, for helping us to understand how we are to live out the good news of the kingdom of God. That scripture is useful for rebuking and correcting. That is, it's useful for disciplining and discipling. That is, helping people to follow Jesus. And it's useful for training in righteousness. That is, all this stuff will lead to observable changes in our lives. That it's not just an, an inward change, it's an outward transformation as we learn to live this out, as we learn to love our neighbor as ourselves, as we learn to forgive as God and Christ has forgiven us, that these things lead to training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That scripture is breathed out by God through human authors. That it's not that the authors were somehow in some, tra- in some trance where they didn't understand what they were doing. No, they were very active in writing the words that we now have as our Bible. But yet God was also involved in breathing out those words. And the goal is so that the servant of God may be equipped for every good work that God has prepared in advance for us. And the purpose is to point to Jesus and to his mission. And so that's how they viewed the scriptures. That's how they viewed the Old Testament. That's how they viewed even the letters that were getting circulated. Because they knew that the words that they were hearing were written by Paul or Peter or Moses or Isaiah, Jeremiah. But they also knew that they were divine. They balanced the humanity and the divinity of these words. And so we believe that the entire Bible is a divine and a human work. It's the inspired word of God and people were moved by the spirit of God to write scripture. Therefore, we believe the Bible is without error in all that it intends to communicate. We use the, the, the phrase without error instead of inerrant or infallible. Uh, in fact, most people don't, can't explain uh, what inerrant or infallible means if you would ask them, people that use that, that term. Most of the time they have something uh, along the lines of it's an airtight you know, view of scripture that there's no mistakes, there's no errors. And so usually people that have that view have a, a, um, a view of scripture that if you start to dismantle scripture that usually something begins to unravel in their faith journey. And so we believe that the Bible is without error. We believe that because uh, the Bible doesn't call itself inerrant or infallible. But we believe that the Bible is without error and that it makes no mistake in pointing to Jesus, that it's one unified story that leads to Jesus. Yes, there are human authors. Yes, there's differences in spellings of different words. Yes, there are scribal editions. Consider those errors or not they don't change the message of Scripture. They don't change the fact that it points to Jesus. And so we don't talk also about the authority of Scripture because the Bible doesn't refer to itself as authoritative. In fact, what we read in Scripture is that all authority starts with Jesus and with his church. Jesus said, All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, commanding his disciples, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. All authority starts in Jesus, not in a book. The only reason we have a book is because of Jesus, because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And the people that saw those things happen wrote down the truth about Jesus. They, they wrote down what they saw. They wrote down the teachings of Jesus. Not while Jesus was alive, because they didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. 
on the day that Jesus rose from the grave, nobody was standing outside the tomb counting down, waiting for Jesus to come out because they believed that dead men stayed dead. And then they saw Jesus alive. And after Jesus went to heaven, they wrote down his teachings. They wrote down what they saw. And those eyewitness accounts got included in our New Testament. And so they trusted the authority of Jesus. They didn't trust the authority of the Bible. They were trusting in Jesus. And I love what Tim Mackey, founder of Bible Project, has to say about the authority of Jesus. The authority of Jesus isn't to bash people over the heads, but to spread the healing and transforming power of his gospel and resurrection. Let me say that again. The authority of Jesus isn't to bash people over the heads, but to spread the healing and transforming power of his gospel and resurrection. And so the authority of Jesus commissioned and sent out his followers to spread the good news. And in fact, that's what happened for the first 300 years of the church. Because for the first 300 years of the church, there was no the Bible. And so if our faith was built on the Bible, then we didn't have a faith for 300 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But our faith isn't built on the Bible. Our faith is built on an event. Our faith is built on a person, the person of Jesus. And so you can poke holes in Scripture all day long, but that does nothing to the foundation of our faith. Our faith is built on Jesus, not a Bible. Because again, our faith existed before there was a the Bible. So we believe that the Bible is true or is without error in all that it intends to communicate because there's a lot that the Bible doesn't intend to communicate. Because if you just read Scripture, if you pull it out of its context, you can make the Bible say whatever you want it to say. You can say you can twist it, as the Apostle Peter said, for all kinds of things. You can twist it to justify oppression of people. You can use it to justify evil. But when we read the Bible in context... The Bible, in true and all that it intends to communicate, that's not at all what we get. We get a picture of God, a God who is love, a God who is full of grace, a God who, yes, demands that sin is paid for, but ultimately he paid the price for our sin. And so we're at a great, ter- a great place in terms of human history to be able to understand what the Bible is trying to communicate. Because we've got, again, more manuscripts than what we've ever had before, but also because of archaeology. We're able to understand uh, the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, in ways that we've never been able to do before. Sure, we have the writings of the people that came after the disciples. We call them the church fathers. But these people weren't perfect. These people were also heavily influenced by Greek thinking. They were uh, anti-Semitic, that is, they did not like the Jewish people because the Jews killed Jesus, therefore let's not like the Jews. So let's erase the Jewishness of the Old Testament and the Jewishness of the New Testament and let's interpret everything through the lens of Jesus. And while that is helpful, that's not at all going to help us to get to understanding how the original audience would have understood it and what the Bible is trying to tell us. And so when it comes to trying to figure out what the Bible is saying, we can't just read it uh, on its own at a surface level. We need to understand the cultural and historical context. There's tools today to help us to do that. One of the tools that we like here at Hope Community is Bible Project. Uh, We also need to read it in community and within historical tradition because that helps to prevent us from just ripping things out of context and making up meanings and making the Bible say whatever we want it to say instead of what the original authors intended it to say. So there's things in the Bible that might not make sense to us, that might seem like contradictions, but the thing that we need to recognize is that, number one, we're 3,000 years removed from some of these events. We live in a completely different time. We're going to miss some things. 
we need to recognize that, number one, that we're not the first people to ever wrestle with some of these issues that we're having with the Bible. We also need to recognize that the foundation of our faith is Jesus. It's not the Bible, because there was a faith, there was a church for 300 years before there was a, the Bible. The Bible points to Jesus, it's important, but the Bible itself can't save us. It points to the one who can, points to King Jesus. And so maybe you're here today, or you're watching online, you left the faith because of something in the Bible. Maybe you left the faith unnecessarily because the foundation of our faith isn't the Bible. The foundation of our faith is Jesus, who's recorded about in the pages of the New Testament because eyewitnesses saw him. And they wrote these things down. They were considered valuable, and they got included into our New Testament. And so we are all invited into the story of the Bible through King Jesus. We're invited to step into the pages, to experience the grace of God, to experience the love of Jesus. And so if you walked away from the faith because of the Bible, maybe today is the day that you start making your way back to the faith. If you're not a Christian, maybe today is the day that you start reading the Bible because, yes, it's big, but what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of encountering the love and the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus that we find in the pages of the New Testament? Are you afraid of experiencing more joy, more love, more patience, more peace? Because that's what we discover when we encounter the living Jesus through the pages of Scripture. So step into the Bible by spending time reading it. In fact, there's a a code that's going to be up here that you can follow uh, us on the Bible app. So if you scan that code, let me get this out of our way for some of you. You can follow us on the Bible app. Uh, on the Bible app, there's a plan that's called How to Read the Bible, and that's our featured plan right now. I got out of Scott's way. Uh, you, can, uh, t- you can start reading that plan and learn how to read the Bible. Maybe you don't like to read, you can listen to the Bible, to step into the story, the good news of King Jesus. There's many different uh, recordings of the Bible on the Bible app. And maybe you don't like any of those, try downloading the Bible in one year with Nikki Gumbel. Uh, on that app, a British person reads you the Bible, and it's fantastic. Okay, that, that accent just makes everything better. So try listening to the Bible if you don't like to read. Try reading the Bible even if you're skeptical. Even if you don't believe that the Bible is true. Try reading it. Because you don't read something because you believe it's true. You read it to find out if it is true. So try reading it and see if you agree with any of it and see what happens. Because we believe that the entire Bible is a divine and human work. It's the inspired word of God and people were moved by the spirit of God to write scripture. Therefore, we believe that the Bible is without error in all that it intends to communicate. But we don't believe it just because the Bible says so. We believe it because Peter says so. Because the apostle Paul says so. Because James, the brother of Jesus, believed that it was so. And their accounts of the life of Jesus got included into our New Testament, into our Bible. And so that's why we take the Bible seriously. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that for 2,000 years you preserved these words that lead to life. That you chose to work through human beings, God, to to record your words that are at the same time divine. That they are the, the words that lead to life. So God, we thank you for that. I pray that this week as we try to start reading scripture, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you'd make yourself known, that we experience your love, your grace, 
and forgiveness. God, we're trusting in that. In your name we pray. Amen.